Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning as we continue our series in the book of Genesis through the life of Joseph. And this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. And I am so excited and blessed and honored to to be with you this morning as we open God's Word together today. The book, the series of books actually, called A Series of Unfortunate Events, titles three children who are out to investigate the mysterious disappearance and death of their parents. Now, I haven't read any of the books, but I watched a few of the TV show adaptations, and it is a series which you could guess just from the title, where it is comedic in how bad things just always seem to happen to these three poor kids. And every time there seems to be about a breakthrough, that they would about to get a break, something bad happens again as this series of unfortunate events just rolls on and on and on in their lives. Sometimes for us, I think our lives can kind of seem like a series of unfortunate events, right? Like Murphy's Law was meant to describe our days. You know, the the day that you spill your coffee on yourself while you're driving into work is the same day you get a flat tire, is the same day you then lock your keys in the car, and you're like, can something please just go right today? But there's also times in life where it's not funny to look back on the pain in our lives, where the cancer diagnosis comes to a loved one, and then there's a loss of a job and a loss of a relationship, and life just seems like it keeps going downhill, and it's not funny at all. It's just painful. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 39, and Pastor Ed outlined for us this this life of Joseph. As, As we saw, he had started off with such promise, but then sold by his brothers into slavery for honoring God and for doing the right thing when Potiphar's wife comes to him, God blesses him by putting him in prison. And we ended last week by looking at the end of chapter 39 while seeing again in prison, God elevated him to a position of prominence, but still Joseph's in prison. And I love that Pastor Ed helped fill us in the gaps because sometimes when we read scripture, because we can read these stories in just a few minutes, we think that it must have felt that way for them back then. But we know that when Genesis 37 starts, Joseph is 17. In chapter 41, we're going to see that 13 years has passed. So as we jump in today to Genesis chapter 40, it's a reminder to us that in Joseph's life, this has been about 10 years years of this. Ten years of can I catch a break? Ten years of pain plus suffering plus more pain. And as we open the Bible this morning, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open it to Genesis chapter 40. As we open the Bible this morning, we're going to look at this episode of Joseph's life, which is really, I think, the low point of his story. And we're going to ask ourselves this question, what is God doing in our suffering? What is God doing when for a decade it seems like he's not showing up? What is God doing in our pain? This morning, we're going to discover that it's in the pits 
that God is preparing us for his purposes. It's in the pits of life that God is ultimately preparing us for his purposes. So Genesis chapter 40 verse 1 says this, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. See, these cupbearer and the baker, for us when we hear about roles like that, because we think of government in our terms today, and when you think of some of the most influential people in our country, you don't think of the people working in the kitchen of the White House. And so we could say, well, this isn't a big deal. These guys just kind of pass along the food. They're the baker. It's the guy who serves the drink. But in their times, the cupbearer and the baker would have been some of the most trusted officials in the house of the king. We see this because we, we can look forward in scripture and we see Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king and this profound influence and, and respect that he had, the close relationship with the king then. In fact, lots of scholars think that the cupbearer of the king was probably the most trusted advisor to the king himself. But they had committed an offense. We don't know any details, frankly, it doesn't matter, but they had done something to wrong themselves in front of Pharaoh, and so he had put them down and cast them into prison. And while they're into prison, they're appointed by the captain of the guard into Joseph's custody. Now, we have seen this title, the captain of the guard, before in the previous chapter. This may be Potiphar, it may not be. Frankly, it doesn't mean a lot to our story. It could be him. But either way, the important thing is that providentially these two men end up with Joseph. And of course, Joseph is placed over them and attends to them for some time. Verse 5 says this. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. Now, the, the, what the Egyptians would have thought that dreams were how a god would communicate with them. They would have thought that this was divine revelation to them. And so this is why the next verse happens. In verse 6, it says this, When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Because if God was trying to reveal something to them, these were two of the most influential people in the country. And there were people in the court who could have helped them interpret their dreams. But now they're in prison and they're alone and they're feeling despondent because of it. But Joseph sees their pain. And he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today. See, there's several lessons, several things that we can learn from this passage this morning. But the first thing that, that I want us to notice this morning in Joseph's life, the first thing that God is doing in our suffering is God is cultivating our character. God is cultivating our character in the midst of hurt, pain, loss, and suffering. It is profound here that Joseph noticed 
the pain of these two individuals who he was given care over. Scholars note how profound it is that there's no bitterness or animosity that Joseph has to them. I mean, think of the contrast in positions between the cupbearer and the baker and Joseph. The cupbearer and the baker did something wrong to end up in prison. Joseph did everything right and he ended up in prison. The cupbearer and the baker have been there for a little bit of time, maybe a few months, probably not more than a year. Joseph has been here for a decade. And he could have easily looked at them and said, oh, I feel so sorry for you guys. I feel so bad. Let me tell you about my life. But Joseph wasn't about complaining about himself. He wasn't focused on himself. But in his pain, God had been cultivating Joseph's character. See, it's in our suffering that God shapes us. It's in our suffering that God often shapes us in ways that we would never have been able to experience without that suffering in our lives. And we can look forward as as you read through. It's not a surprise where Joseph ends up and the story of Joseph is well known. And we see here already in chapter 40 that in this time of silence before God, he has gone deep with God and God has developed deep character within him. See, we see this idea throughout Scripture that suffering is a means by which God grows us. In the book of Romans, it says this, not only that, but we can actually rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces See, God is producing a godly character in us through the suffering that we experience in our lives. We live in a world, by and large, that doesn't value character anymore. It's devoid of godly character. From the highest positions to the lowest positions, character doesn't seem to matter much anymore. Because instead, what we love to value and what we are fascinated with in our world is competency. We love competency, but we don't value character. Think about all the things that you're taught at school. It's how to become competent at a certain skill and how to do this, but it has very little value on the kind of person that you are. And it's easy for us in our world to buy into this lie that what matters most is what we can do rather than who we are. I love how one author put it. He said, Your competency leaves the first impression on people, but your character leaves the lasting one. Your competency leaves that first impression, but your character leaves the lasting one. And God wants to develop in us a character that will leave a lasting impression on others for his glory. One author, to help understand this importance of character in our lives, used this illustration. He said, picture a funeral. You're like, Pastor, I came here this morning to get encouraged. Why are you having me think about death? Well, it's coming for all of us unless Jesus comes back. So it's something we should think about. Think about a funeral. What things are said about the person in the casket? I don't know about you, but I've never heard GPAs read. 
titles earned, but I've heard a lot about the kind of parent they were, the kind of spouse they were, the kind of friends they were. And then this author says, think about your funeral and what would people say at it? Because so often we're focused on competency in our world that we miss the character that God is trying to build in each of our lives. God's deep work in us often involves deep pain. God's deep work in our lives often involves deep pain. God is shaping you and I, though, not for just a momentary glance, but he's shaping and forming us for eternity, for eternity. And so we will undergo suffering and pain so God could cultivate us because he has a greater purpose in mind. I'm reminded this week of the parable that Jesus told about the different soils and their response to the gospel. And to me, one of the most scary ones that Jesus talks about is the one that sprang up after it received the word and it had quick fruit, but when the hardships of life came away, it withered and it died. And I just had to sit there this week and I say, God help that not to be me. That when the suffering and hardships of life come, it can be easy to wither and to walk away. But in suffering, God is cultivating something in your heart and in my heart. It's in the pits of our lives that God is preparing us for his purposes. So Joseph has demonstrated and will continue to demonstrate this work that God has done in them. He notices their pain, notices what they're going through, and so he takes action. Verse 8 says this, Then he said to them, we, they said to him, excuse me, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. Now you couldn't fault Joseph if, if after this phrase, Joseph starts to think to himself, and he said, man, I one time had a couple dreams, and I told some people about it, and look where that got me tough luck, guys. I don't know anything about dreams. I will see you later. Here's your breakfast. I'm out. He would have had every right to do that. Probably a temptation. But Joseph leans in. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. I love that line. Do not interpretations belong to God. See, it's clear from this verse and from what we're going to continue to see of Joseph's life, the second thing that God is doing in our suffering, God is forming us for his fame. God is forming us for his fame. See, the character that God is building in our lives through our pain and through our suffering isn't primarily for us but it's to bring God glory where he's placed us. It's not for us, but it's actually for God. And Joseph has this radically God-centered view of his life that we see evidence throughout his story. See, in Genesis 37, as his life starts out, we're not quite sure what to make of him. Is he just naive? Why do you keep telling your brothers these dreams? Why are you wearing this coat? What's going on? 
But by chapter 39, we see this radically God-centered view that Joseph has. Pastor Ed leaned into it last week when he said that when Joseph was faced with temptation, remember his response, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? See, he had an incredible God-centered view of his world. And that continues here in chapter 40. When given this opportunity, he immediately leans in and says, don't these interpretations belong to God? See, wherever God has placed us in life, we are there to bring God glory. Wherever God has placed you today, God has placed you there to bring God glory. And as we look at next week at Genesis chapter 41, we're going to see Joseph has opportunity to give God fame and glory in front of the most powerful person in the world. And we're going to think, wow, wouldn't that be awesome if God gave me such an honor, such an ability to proclaim him in such a great way with such a platform. But Joseph didn't just come out of nowhere when he got through everything and then started giving God glory. See, Joseph could give God glory in the palace because he was still doing it in the prison. He didn't wait till it was over, but where he was, he was giving God glory. It's easy for us to complain about the platform, the place that God has placed us. It's easy to be unsettled, to look at other people's lives, to maybe dream of what our lives could become, and to think, man, if only God would one day put me in that place, imagine what, what I could do then for God. Imagine what I could do there for God. If I had those opportunities, I would be sure then to give God glory. But sometimes we can become so focused on where God's placed us, we miss the opportunities that God gives us each and every day. Joseph didn't miss this opportunity, though he was in the prison. See, it's not up to us to determine the platform that God has given us. It's up to us on if we're going to be faithful to God. It's up to us if we'll be faithful in declaring God's glory where he's placed us. See, if you want God to use you greatly, like God used Joseph greatly, start where Joseph did and start small. Start where God has placed you each and every day. Are you being faithful where God's placed you in bringing him glory? Oftentimes it's not glamorous. It's not prestigious. It's not something anyone else looks at your life and envies. But are you being faithful there in bringing God glory? When you're at home by yourself with screaming kids, changing diapers, cleaning up another mess, that's the place God's given you for right now. Are you being faithful in bringing him glory? In the classroom with a teacher who goes on and on forever and you can't stand, are you being faithful there and bringing God glory? With the boss who drives you nuts, with the job that you don't want right now, but are you being faithful there where God's placed you to give him glory? See, it's not so much up to us, the platform or the place that God has given us, but we get to determine each and every day, are we going to bring God glory 
where he's placed us right now. And Joseph was true to that, even in the prison. It's in the pits that God prepares us for his purposes to bring him glory. So Joseph asks them their dreams. What what were your dreams? God can interpret them. The cupbearer goes first. He says, well, I had a dream. There were these three branches coming off of a vine. And then grapes sprouted from these branches. And I took the grapes and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, which was in my hand. And I handed it over to Pharaoh himself. Joseph's replies here in verse 12. He says this, Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. This phrase is going to come up throughout, and if you could go back one slide, lift up your head. It it's actually just kind of means that, that he will acknowledge you, that he will see you again. And you will be, your head will be lifted up and you will be restored to your position that you once had. And then we get this amazing insight into Joseph's humanity. Lest we think that Joseph is this superhuman who has no emotions, no feeling, who's going around like life is good even when it's awful. We get a glimpse into what his heart is. Verse 14. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so to get me out of this house. The phrase, remember me, is a phrase commonly used in the Old Testament of when in the midst of pain and suffering, the phrase will often occur, then God remembered Israel. God remembered. And when God remembers, it's not just a cognitive thing when someone remembers, but it's a remember and move to action on their behalf. And what he's asking this action to be is to do him the favor of showing him kindness. This kindness, this is from the same word that we see throughout the Old Testament of God's steadfast love for us. In fact, in Genesis 39, as, as it's describing Joseph's position, it says that the Lord was with him and his steadfast love, the same word, was with Joseph. But he asked this cupbearer, remember me, do something for me. Why does he request this? Verse 15, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. See, Joseph in chapter 37 was thrown into a pit. Ten years later in chapter 39, his life is still the pits. Joseph said, please remember me and get me out of here. Well, the baker is here and he's overhearing this and he goes, I like what is happening. I like what the cupbearer's interpretation means. This is great. My turn. Hey, Joseph. I had three baskets in my dream and they were on my head. And on the top basket were all these baked goods for Pharaoh. All the finest baked goods that you could imagine. 
But then there were these birds that were coming and were pulling the baked goods out of the basket. What does my dream mean? And Joseph's like, you sure you want to know? Maybe you should have just kept quiet, but okay, here we go. You told me your dream. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. The same thing the cupbearer had. will lift up your head from you. Sorry, not the same thing exactly. And hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. The baker's like, can you try again, please? Can we go back again and, and try over? Verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. Verse 21. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. And we sit here and we see this and we think, finally, Joseph catches a break. After a decade of this absence of God, pushed to the side, alone, abandoned in prison, finally Joseph catches his break. The only person who loves him is his father back home who thinks he's dead. Finally, it's Joseph's time. Verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. The low point of Joseph's life, the one thing he asked, remember, but he wasn't remembered. The third thing God is doing in our suffering is God is teaching us to trust. God is teaching us to trust. The story of Joseph, and in particular these chapters of Joseph, are a place where I find enormous strength and encouragement at times in my life. Because they're a clear example of what is called the providence of God on display. See, oftentimes when we think of how God works in the world, we think if you just flip about six pages over and you get to the beginning of Exodus, God shows up in amazing ways. He sends plagues, he gets his people out, he parts seas, people walk through. It's miraculous, it's amazing. But I don't know about you, but when I walk out to Lake Michigan, it doesn't part for me. It stays there. And sometimes it's like, well, if God only works in miracles, is God actually working in my life? Because it seems largely devoid of the miraculous. But the providence of God reminds us that God doesn't just work in miracles. God works in everyday situations. I love th this way to put it, that God uses ordinary means to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. God uses ordinary means to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. See, what God is doing in our suffering is beyond what we could ever comprehend ourselves. One of the most convicting verses in scripture because it's so hard for us to apply to our lives is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. It says this, 
For my thoughts, this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's purposes are beyond what we could ever understand. See, it's amazing because we can read through and we'll see the rest of the story of Joseph, why God let this happen to him. Why that being forgotten was necessary for actually all of Scripture to come true. The line of Messiah would have died, but for the providence of God in this life and in this story. See, God's plans and promises for our lives are way beyond what we see in the momentary. I don't know about you, but when I look back at my life, I can see the providence and sovereignty of God on full display in so many different places. Remember one example for me that, that I can always remember in my life. I was about to start high school when my family moved from Southern California to the Midwest. And I said, this is not God's plan for my life. And then winter came and I said, see? <laughs> this is not God's plan for my life. But it's okay. I'll go to college, back out in the land where it's 70 degrees in February. I'll get there. And then God sent me to Chicago for college. And I said, I don't really know if this is God's plan for my life, but it seems like it. Okay, but that's okay. Once I graduate, I'm out of the Midwest. I'm back to where I should be for my plan for my life. And I had all these things laid out and God stood up in heaven and looked at me and went, well, that's cute. <laughs> but what you want and what I want are different things. And my life and all of our lives has been a journey of us understanding and seeing that God's ways aren't our ways. But trusting that God's ways are so much better than ours. His purposes for our life are so much greater than the purposes that we would have for our lives. And so as we discover the sovereignty of God together in the life of Joseph, the call for us is to trust in God. To trust in God. See, it's easy for us, and we often talk in church about trusting God for salvation. And that's of necessary importance and something that we need to do. But as followers of Jesus Christ, it's not just that we trust God one time and then we're done with the active participation of trusting God for the rest of our lives. Trusting in God is not a one-time decision, but a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, moment-by-moment decision that we need to make before God. It's not just something we do one time, but that we do regularly. Because see, anxiety, worry, fear pop up in our lives. I don't know about you, but they come for me oftentimes in the middle of the night when your body is exhausted, but your mind just starts racing and is overwhelmed. Hasn't happened to me in three days. And in those times, do you just sit back and say, well, I placed my trust in Jesus before. No, you have to get up and say, right now, again, I'm placing my trust in you. I don't understand. 
I don't necessarily know where it's going to go, but God, in this too, I trust in your plan for my life. See, what's amazing is unlike the cupbearer who forgot him, you're not forgotten by God. If you're his child, God remembers you. God's kindness is always with you. His steadfast love for us endures forever. So as followers of God, we can trust him in every circumstance of our lives. So often we live our lives with closed fists before God. We say, all right, God, I'm going to hold on to as much of my life as I can. And while we say, okay, I trust him for salvation, but my future, my family, my spouse, my romantic life, whatever it is, we hold on to it and we clench our fists and say, I want to hold on to this part of my life. What God calls us to do is to stop clenching our fists, but to open up our hands and trust and give it to him. If you would this morning think of something in your life that you need to put your trust in God for. For some of us today, maybe it is for salvation. We've been trying to do it on our own and we need to trust in God. But for many of us here today, we're in the middle of these seasons of suffering like Joseph was. And we're trying to hold on to life ourselves There's anger in our hearts. There's bitterness. We're trying to hold on to our future, to our past, to our kids, to our careers, to whatever it is. As we close today, would you, just as a symbol of our hearts, just take your hands like this. This is awkward for some of you. That's okay. Just take your hands and clench your fists. Think of whatever it is in your life that you're holding on to. And then as we pray, just open your hands before God and give that to him. God, our hands here today are open. God, it's a symbol of our hearts wanting to trust you in every circumstance of our lives. God, for many of us, it's in deep pain and we don't know where the next step will lead But God, as our hands are open, may our hearts trust in your leading in our lives. God, we can trust in you because you are a good God. You have never failed us yet and you will never fail us. God, teach us to trust you with everything in our lives. We give ourselves to you today. We pray all this in Jesus' name.